2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. So I just formed this deep experience of fear and anxiety of no one likes me. No matter what I do, no one really wants to talk to me. No one likes me. So if this is the case, then I better just hide in the corner and and be by myself because no one likes me. I don't need to be afraid of what people think because God has given me the joy of my heart and I can't hold back from sharing. Yo. Welcome to the Dead Alive Podcast. This is Richard Young, and today's episode is with a man I have actually never met. When when were you born? What is your, like, were you born in September, Jonathan? I was born in July. Okay, so you were born a July couple- July 6th. What, what state were you born in? Washington. Okay, so I was born in California two months after this man was born in Washington in 1983. And so we-, we we have some cultural background, but I've never met you. Uh, but this is an episode with Jonathan DeWeber. Uh, Jonathan, what is this about, man? What, 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 what's this episode about? This episode is about losing sight of fear and trusting in the faith of God and his love and knowing that I am a son of God. Just like that doggy is drinking the water, we're sons of God, right? <laughs> Amen. So we'll just jump into the podcast now. Buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Bro, this is uh, literally our first time having a conversation. Truly is. Yeah, and uh, this is. Don't take this personally, right now. When someone says that. There's a big chance for someone to take Brisley. But I don't normally do like a podcast with someone I've never met before. And uh, it has to be on the strength of uh, Eddie being like, no, Rich, this guy, like you need to do, you need to hear this story. You need to hear it. And so I'm like, 
okay, man, let me uh, let me hear this story. So I have no idea who you are. I think you live in Idaho, right? Is this Idaho? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. I live in uh, Caldwell, Idaho. Okay, you live in Caldwell, Idaho. So I don't know anything about you, bro. Tell me what's, who is, uh, who's the old Jonathan? I, I don't think I know the new Jonathan. Um, I don't know the new or the old Jonathan. So who's the old Jonathan? Where does his story start? So old Jonathan, um, you know, as, as thinking about it today, where can I start? I can start way early or I can start middle life or, you know, middle of my life now. But I think, I think it has to start early because that's where the background of where I come from is. So mm-hmm. I am, you know, second generation Adventist. My mother was an Adventist. My father became an Adventist when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, traditional Adventist going to church, doing all the things growing up. Um, but the, the one thing that is, that really defines my old Jonathan is fear. Um, and that fear is the sense that when I was younger, my parents took me to the Iwanas. And I don't really remember much um, before that, but we were in the, an Iwanas club. And, and so, you know, in the Iwanas club, they do Bible, Bible memory verses every week. And... Um, in order to do those Bible memory verses, you have to say those memory verses in front of the group every week. Hmm. And I remember not wanting to. And so every week they would take me out into the hall for me to recite Bible memory verses because I didn't like to speak in front of people. Mm-hmm. So that's all I remember from that point on. Um, I remember at the end of that, that I received an award for the year reciting the most memory verses, Mm -hmm. but it was all out by myself with whoever the teacher was. And so that's my early recollection of fear and anxiety of being up front, speaking in front of people. Some might say that would stem from an experience that I had in kindergarten mm-hmm. um, where a friend of mine, you know, kindergarten friends, um, <laughs> kissed a girl that I liked. And so I got upset and I kind of punched him <laughs> and, and uh, set got, you know, got in trouble. Um, I also in that year got in trouble for taking popsicle sticks for my teacher's craft supplies, taking them home and got confronted at home with my mom and had to go back and apologize and say, sorry, you know? So, so I believe that those experiences hold part of who I am Hmm. or who I was these getting in trouble, doing things that, um, would get me in trouble, just kind of a stem to this fear of being in front, this fear of getting in trouble. 
the next recollection I have is so from kindergarten, my mom took us out of uh, public school and homeschooled us until I was in fifth grade. And so, you know, we did all of our schoolwork at home. And so was, if we got our work done, then we had the rest of the day to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. um, if we didn't get our work done, then it was like, hey, it's time for your, just wait till your dad gets home and you'll have a discussion with him for not getting your work done. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> in the midst of this, you know, in the midst of kindergarten to fifth grade, this transition period, um, a big event happened in my life. Um, my parents uh, decided that we were moving from the state of Washington mm -hmm. to New Mexico. Hmm. So in, in 1993, we moved my grandmother from Oregon, the coast of Oregon, to uh, New, New Mexico and, you know, drove her across the country, did all the tourist things on the way there. And then on the way home, we took the train all the way back. Well, the next year in, in my mom decided to take us for a, a month long vacation to New Mexico to visit my grandma. And we never left for 10 years. Hmm. So, um, so that kind of this total transition in my life from experiencing, you know, familiar places, familiar activities, people, friends, friends at church, all this, because at that, just before we moved is when I chose to be baptized. Um, in, so I was about nine years old when I, you know, made a decision to be baptized the first time. And so that next, so that year that I got baptized was the summer we moved my grandmother to New Mexico. And then the next year we moved ourselves to New Mexico and lived there for 10 years before I went to college. So this whole change in my life, you know, coming, being, a, you know, classified as a shy kid, um, not wanting to be up front. And yet my mom somehow got me to uh, sing solos for church. Hmm. I don't, I don't quite understand how I, I managed to get those done. I know I remember all the fear and anxiety that I'd have before I got up front and I get it done and then be happy it was over. So all the so all these emotions I feel played a lot of who I was growing up. Hmm. Um just kind of gave me this I this false identity. Um, what was it? Because when what I was the identity, uh, not knowing who I was, the identity of no um, identity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, I, yeah. Cause, cause when we moved to New Mexico, when we got to that place, that was the next 10 years I spent trying to be the cool kid or trying to dress like the cool kids, trying to be noticed, trying to, uh, uh, stand out, mm -hmm. uh, uh, try to, you know, one of the, the, one of the things in trying to stand out was based on, you know, when those Junko jeans came out, I had to try to get me a pair, <laughs> even though my mom didn't like them, but 
You know, I wanted to be like the cool kids. What year were uh, you born, man? I was born in 1983. You're class of 2002? Yes. Well, we are the same age. So those Jinko jeans and the Lee pipes, right? Remember the <laughs> Lee was competing with Jinko. And yep. uh, I can't... Those must have been the ugliest pants uh, anyone has ever seen, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I knew I couldn't ask my mom for them. She would, have, she would have killed me before she let me wear them. But that was a scene, man. People really like people like young kids, maybe a little younger than yeah. me. But did you end up getting them? No. <laughs> my mom bought me knockoff jeans, Arizona. J.C. Penny coming through with the J.C. Yes, Penny brand. Right. <laughs> And and the worst thing about it was they didn't fit right. And and so my mom's like, hey, well, we can fix that. My mom is, uh, she does sewing, mm-hmm. a lot of sewing. And so she's like, here, this is, a, this is a solution. We'll just cut the sides and we'll add a little strip of uh, something different. And, and that way they'll fit you right. So then, you know, trying to be cool with the Jinkos and not getting Jinkos, but having Arizonas uh-huh. and then having this stripe down each side so that they fit me right. It's just never, never any good. The other thing, the other major thing that I, so <laughs> growing up, uh, you know, my parents did the best they could and, but I got this. This this complexity about wanting name brand items, you know, Jinko jeans, Nikes, you know, all these, all the, all the cool things, right? For sure. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I would hate when my mom would go to the thrift store and, and get me used things. And so, ever since that point in time, if I was purchasing the you know the goods myself, I'm going to go get the good the good stuff. I'm not going to go to the the thrift shop. Right. So. This is, you know, this is who I am. This is, or this is who I'm trying to be. I'm trying to fit in with everybody being in a new state, trying to get new, get to know new people. So I'm trying to do this, this fitting in uh, aspect in life. So, you know, that takes me through high school. Um, by the time I get to high school, it's, you know, gone from the Junko or Jinkos to Tommy Hilfiger. You gotta be, you gotta have the Tommy Hilfiger brand. And Nautica. Shorts Remember and Nautica was popular too? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so all these things. Trying to, you know, trying to, trying to see if uh, I'm, a, you know, where do I fit in the, in the balance of high school? Am I, am I leaning too, too close to the skater group? Um, or am I, you know, the preps or whatever they called us or they called them. Mm-hmm. That was who I was trying to be. I was trying to be somebody. Um, so, uh, that was my experience. So going from homeschool, being taught at home, being tossed into public school again in fifth grade, trying to fit in, trying to be cool and, and still being the shy person, still trying to stay out of the, the trouble, uh, cause I didn't like getting in trouble, uh, my first year in in public school, when we moved, I got in trouble for talking. And so I told myself I'd never talk again in class. And so from that point on, I only talked when I was called upon for a question or whatever. So I just kind of 
stuck to myself in class and did all these things. And so that kind of who I was, the quiet guy, um, trying to dress popular, trying to be cool, but not really feeling cool. Hmm. Uh, so, and in the midst of this, uh, so when we moved to New Mexico, going through middle school, getting into high school, my parents got divorced. Hmm. And so, you know, we're splitting time between my mom and my dad back and forth. Um, but then as I was getting back into high school, uh, they decided to get remarried. They thought they worked things out. And, and so they got remarried as we were going into high school. And so we thought things were good again, you know, mm-hmm. family was back together. Life was going well. And, uh, just doing that high school drama yep. <laughs> as well as, you know, as well as trying to be good in, in church and, you know, being a junior deacon, doing all the, the right things in church, part of Pathfinders, part of a choir that my mom led out in and just trying to do all the good things, but not truly wanting to be there. Right. So this probably leads me up to the last year of high school. Um, at this time, uh, in my life, I had <laughs> had one girlfriend. I don't know why, but it wasn't the best relationship in the sense that it was back and forth like, I felt like she didn't care, then she did, then she didn't. So I just had this up and down turmoil and and which caused uh stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, which became so bad that I had to go to the doctor and have um medication for ulcers. Mm-hmm. Uh and so my my last year of high school uh, is on medication to help with ulcers that were you know causing a lot of pain and and still trying to be the this this cool kid um trying to fit in trying to have you know this relationship with this person but for 3 years straight every february get to that you know that one date february 14 and you know they say, oh, this is exciting, but not really. Hmm. Uh, it seemed like the day after was always the breakup day. Hmm. So <clears throat> this played a lot of my, you know, trying to fit in, trying to see where I was, but then having this this relationship that always seemed to fail at the same time every year. Then we try to figure it out and we do it again. And then the next year do the same thing. So this back and forth, back and forth. And so, so I just formed this deep experience of fear and anxiety of no one likes me. Hmm. Um, no matter what I do, no one really wants to talk to me. No one likes me. So if, if this is the case, then I better just to hide in the corner and, and be by myself because no one likes me. At least that's what I felt. What did God think so about you are, in your mind? 
What did God think about me? At that point, I didn't know. And this plays out in the rest of my story is ultimately I had a fear of God because I had a fear of what people thought about me. Like, you know, like I said, I'm trying to fit in, trying to be this person. And it, what, what truly sparked that is I, I cared too much about what people thought. I cared about what people thought about me. I cared about. And so having these experiences, you know, this relationship keep breaking up every year um, was like, they don't care about me. Um, and just seems to stem more and more this feeling. If they don't care about me, then maybe God doesn't care about me. Hmm. But, and, and, and that is only, I have only come to that realization in the last couple of years because as I get to the end of, as I'm coming to the end of my senior year in high school, you know, I've had this breakup every year for two years before this. And, and I'm coming to this uh, time in high school. Every, every February, our, our conference put on a youth rally. And so we were headed to uh, a youth rally. Um, and at that youth rally, I had a call or, you know, the pastor made a call at the end of his sermon and said, hey, does anybody here want to recommit their life to Christ? And I had this overwhelming feeling within me that I've never experienced ever. I mean, I, I experienced it, but at that point, this was the most overwhelming experience I'd ever felt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, he, he you know, the comment, don't, don't look around to see what other people are doing. Um, do, if this is what you feel, um, then, then come down front. And so I, I didn't look at anybody. I just stood up and I came down front and I just started crying. This overwhelming call, crying that I hadn't experienced prior to this before. And, and so, you know, they talked to me afterwards and then, then the next day they had the same call and then they said, you know, had the same call. What do you, if, you know, if you want to recommit your life, but you, but you want to commit your heart and into ministry, mm-hmm. uh, come down. And, you know, I felt that call too. So I've had, you know, I'm, I'm coming to the end of my senior year, not knowing what I want to do mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to fit in, trying to be cool and all of this. And, now I've get this call from God to to commit recommit my life as well as um think about ministry uh this possibility of ministry so I go through the altar call we go back home I start talking to my pastor my local pastor and he's like um you know what when do you want to set up your baptism or re rebaptism and so we did it in April <laughs> What was the thing that was new about God in your mind that you were like, I'm going to recommit and uh, I want to go into the ministry? Was it something that was new about God or was it something, what was it? What was it? Uh, at that point, the thing that was different was listening to people talk. Um, like, you know, I remember taking a, a spiritual gift survey in church. And they, 
uh, introduced the idea after going through the survey, hey, have you ever thought uh, about, about uh, you know, one of the things that, that was highlighted was pastoral ministry. And one of the elders of the church at the time said, hey, what do you... What is your thought as you look at your survey? You know, what's your thoughts here? And at that time, I hadn't thought about it. So coming to my, you know, coming to this youth rally, feeling this, this, this call, feeling this emotional draw to come and, and, you know, recommit my life brought me back to that point where the guy said, Hey, what do you, what do you think about pastoral ministry? So that's kind of, where that came up. Hmm. But to go back a little bit, so going back to that idea that I had, you know, that I shared first about going to Awanas and having, you know, rep speaking Bible memory verses outside the class, receiving an award at the end of the year, mm-hmm. that that also that memory came back in this idea that, you know, that's where I remember um, having John three sixteen as a memory verse that I have been able to say ever since. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, this recollection. So maybe that it is true. My spiritual upbringing as a as a child, having this experience with a one as doing all these memory verses. Maybe it is true that God's calling me into ministry. Things like that. Uh, were some of my thoughts at that point. But some of the challenges that I faced was going into public school, um, not being the, not being, you know, going into public school for the first time, they do all this, this testing mm-hmm. that they do uh, to kind of see where you are in, in all of this. And so, Another hit that I took in my high school years that led up to this time as a 19-year-old was the fact that I was considered low in reading, low in grammar, low in my writing skills. And so they gave me uh, this IEP mm-hmm. um, test. And basically with the, out of that, they said, your son's always going to like, this is what they were telling my mom. Your son's always going to struggle with reading. He's always going to struggle with writing. He's always going to struggle with this. So we're going to tell you what we recommend is that he gets this tutoring class for the rest of his high school career. Uh, this was my freshman year. Um, for the rest of his high school career, we'll set aside this one class that he'll go to, to do, to get help for his homework, to get help through his reading, get all this help. But when it comes to books and all of that, we probably recommend him use audiobooks as a way to read books because he is so slow. Hmm. And and so I took that as probably a major hit to who I am. I am hmm. never going to succeed because I'm low in reading, I'm low in writing, I'm low in English, all these things. Um, gave me an identity that I didn't like. Right. And so that led into this. So prior to, you know, going, I'm all over the place. (laughs) You're good, man. But, uh, but in, 
Prior to high school, my dream was to be a park ranger to teach the truth about creation and not the millions and millions of years. Hmm. I liked science. I liked, I liked rocks. I liked all things outdoors. And so this was my goal. I'm going to be a park ranger and, and serve people the truth about creation. So by the time I'm in high school, looking into careers, looking at geology as a possible career. Um, so I'm in this class, this, this tutoring class. And the, the tutoring teacher that's in this class, her husband is a, an oil driller. And so, you know, we we're talking about looking at schools, best schools for geology, where to go and all of that. And she's like, yeah, when you get out of school, you can just call and text my husband so that he knows the best places to drill uh, for oil and stuff. And I was like, okay. And basically the research that I did for geology was that I'd be like an office like working out of an office most of the time and only going on site for certain specific jobs. And that just kind of like, nah, this isn't what I want to do. So I'm getting to this, you know, at 19, getting to this youth rally, feeling this call from God, now exploring, okay, what is this call from God? What is it that he's calling me to Hmm. that is different than what I thought I would do growing up Mm -hmm. to this point? Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, let's, let's test it. Let's see what God is doing. Did I truly understand it at that point? Probably not. Hmm. But it began a journey um, moving forward. So, you know, I graduate uh, high school, 2002. Um, at that point, I had broken off with my girlfriend. And instead of staying home for the summer, I decided I'm going to go and live with my brother in California and get a job for the summer. You know, separate myself from this relationship, separate myself from this experience here and, you know, just go live with my brother and and um, and and just have have a different summer than I have had the last couple of years. Hmm. So. Uh, so I, you know, I made all these plans, made these arrangements, um, and we get to the, about like a week before I'm going away, uh, to live with my brother for the summer and the youth pastor for the conference said, Hey, we have an opening in our summer camp. Are you interested? Hmm. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to be a youth you know, work at youth camp ever since I went to camp. Mm-hmm. But I never got the opportunity and I had already made plans for the summer. And so, no, I'm not going to stay here. So I, I didn't take the opportunity. So I went, um, went and worked, went to California, spent the summer working at Six Flags Magic Mountain mm-hmm. and um, decided to get back to my home state um, just in time for the evangelistic series the church was going to have because hmm. I wanted to be there to help out. So I come back and help out with this evangelistic series. In the midst of helping out with this evangelistic series, I get reconnected to my girlfriend, former girlfriend, and we start hanging out and all of that. 
so by that time, you know, graduation had happened. I'm like, okay, what's next? You know, I hadn't really decided which college to go to other than our local college for just to begin taking general education. Uh, and so that was my plan for that first year. So in the midst of that first year, um, I was head deacon at our church. And one of the things that they were doing, I was recording uh, seminars that, you know, we had a satellite at the church. And so they wanted some seminars recorded. And so I was going to the church every night to get it to start so that it would record that, that, that series. Mm -hmm. And so one day that I was at the church just before it, the series started, they had this um, panel discussion at Southern Adventist University. Hmm. I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. So I recorded that so that I could watch it later. And so I, I watched it after I was done. And I, was like, and I told my parents, I said, I want to check this out. I want to go, go to this school and see what it's like. And so... Um, got in touch with the school, made arrangements to go visit my spring break the next year. Uh, and so, because in the back of my mind, now that I've had that experience, uh, my senior year of being called by God, where, which Adventist school should I go to? Um, so since I grew up in Washington state up until I was 10, you know, my grandparents still lived in Washington State. They lived close to Walla Walla University. Mm -hmm. That was an option. I could go and be close to them. Um, but my older brother did a year at Southwestern, and, you know, that was an option. And then all of a sudden I get this, what about Southern? Mm -hmm. So, you know, looked into it, looked at the cost. I was like, hey, this seems interesting. Hmm. So that year... That spring break the next year, uh, my my parents and I, we drove to Tennessee and got there in time for our, our tour for the school, met the dean of religion. But also at this time, I was interested in film. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do something in film. And so, you know, went and met the film school and and ultimately was told that these two majors that you're interested in are very challenging majors and we don't recommend that you do both. So you're going to have to pick and choose one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, just meeting the or you know, meeting the deans, meeting students as we walked the promenade and just had a, a positive experience. And it's like, I think, I think this is a place I want to come. I think this is possibly where God would have me come. So we go home and make, you know, fill out all the process, the paperwork and all of that. Get accepted to come to the school school that fall. This is fall of 2003. But when it came down to it, we had to come up with $1,000 prior to the month of August in, for like a down payment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, this isn't going to work. Like we didn't have the money. My, I mean, my parents didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. So I called them and said, I'm going to postpone my start and, and do another year of community college. So I stayed home another year. 
in the midst of staying home another year, um, I, instead of having the experience with my girlfriend at the time, things seemed to be okay. And we, within the next year, got engaged prior to heading to Southern. You're like 19, 18? Uh, so in 2003, I would have been almost 20. We got engaged in 2004, so the next year. Okay. So I was 21. Okay. But it, it was an engagement that would be not there wouldn't be an Amer- there wouldn't be a marriage until I graduated from college. So it'd be like a long engagement. Oh mercy! And then it was going to be a long distance engagement because I was going to go to Tennessee and she was staying in New Mexico. Ooh, that that doesn't sound. I'm interested to find out what happens because <laughs> I don't, it doesn't seem like it's going to go well, but I could be wrong. Never heard the story. Keep going. So, so I've had this positive experience at Southern. I come home and have this discouragement about not having the funds to go to the school that year. Mm-hmm. I take, I do another year of community college. At this point I'm taking general sciences, you know, just trying to get all the generals out of the way so that when I get to Southern, you know, I can jump right into the program and, and have the fast track out. Uh, and so, so we're coming to the time. So my older brother was about to get married, uh, in 2004. And so in the year of 2003 to 2004, I became the Pathfinder director for the year. And so I'm, I'm doing the, you know, doing camping, doing all these activities for Pathfinders and leading into the Pathfinder Camporee. Cause I went to the Camporee. My first one was in the 95 in, in Denver. Dare to care. Dare to care. <laughs> yeah. And then the next one, uh, you know, in Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I want to take my younger brother to Oshkosh in 2004. So we, you know, did all this fundraising, did all this fun things leading into heading to Oshkosh in the fall and then immediately after heading to Southern. Right. That was the plan. Right. And so, but before all that, my older brother was getting married. He was graduating college. He was getting married and all of this, my parents are all of this as well. My mom got a job in California working as an Adventist teacher. So this was looking good about, for me going to Southern because now my mom's going to be working for the church subsidy going to get, get some subsidy to help pay for school. So it's like, you know, God's lining these things up. Things are working out. God's lining these things up for me to go to Southern. These are the things that I'm seeing, but yet in my mind, I'm still having these, this identity crisis of who am I, even though I see, I see God working. I'm still, Still trying to be the cool one. Still trying to, you know, dress popular. All of this. And so all of this is going on in the background. So we go to my brother's wedding. After my brother's wedding, I help get my parents ready to move. Then I go to Oshkosh. Um, we had five Pathfinders and five staff. Half the people on the trip had never been on an airplane. (laughs) So this was all first times flying into Chicago, trying to connect to get to Milwaukee and then the bus to uh, Oshkosh. 
And then on the way back, our flights were completely separate and we all landed at different times. So just a lot of stress. And then on top of it, loading up my car and then driving to Tennessee to start a new school. Mm -hmm. And so, so we get there. We, we head to Southern. This is 2004, heading to Southern to begin theology. That's what I decided on. Even though film was something I, I liked and thought would be neat to do, I went with the, this, this feeling that God was calling me into ministry because of that experience I had at 19. Mm-hmm. So I get to Southern, I go and meet Dr. Saman, my advisor, and he's like, so what's your plan? What's, what's your three-year plan? What's your, you know, how, how long do you want to be here? And, and in my mind, it's like, I want to go as fast as I can. You know, I've done two years of community college already. I should be able to get, you know, the rest of my time, hopefully in two and a half years, that would be great. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, that's the four year, four and a half at most so that I can go home and get married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like this is all the stuff in my, in my mind. So we, we, we talked to him. He's like, okay, let me talk. Let me talk to the Dean. Let's see what we can do. So they help. They help me jump some, um, get into some classes that I wouldn't net, necessarily would have been able to get in because I was coming in new, but as a transfer student at somewhat at an elevated level than most freshmen. But come to find out some of my classes that I took in under uh, in for generals didn't meet the standards Mm. as generals at Southern. Oh no. So I ended up having to take more generals when I got to Southern. So that was already a setback of my, my goal to be done in two and a half years. Right. And so you get there and just, just an overwhelming experience of being in a new place, meeting my roommate for the first time, which was, not expected, <laughs> um, but just a lot of emotions going in for this experience. Uh, and so I began my semester spending it in class and in my dorm room, in class and in my dorm room, mm-hmm. not really doing a whole lot of out out of the dorm activities. You go to the weekend events that would come up, but... Most most of the time was in class, at work, in the dorm room, mm-hmm. and then trying to connect and communicate with my girlfriend slash fiance back home. And so as as the semester is progressing, the calls back home were getting shorter and shorter, and just kind of felt like I was talking to a wall. Mm. And so I was like. I I called my dad and said, Hey, at, uh, we're going to have a fall break and we have like four days. Can I fly back to New Mexico for that four days just to be, just to visit? I'd already had plans to go home for a week and then go spend a week in New Mexico at Christmas. But I was like, Hey, I have this opportunity. I have four, these four days. I don't want to spend it here by myself. So, can I do this? So my dad helps me get a ticket and I fly in. But in order to fly in, I have to sit at the airport for 12 hours in Atlanta. 
I fly in and have to wait at the airport in Albuquerque, New Mexico for for almost eight hours for the person that's going to drive me down to where they live three and a half hours away. Mm -hmm. So I've spent the night at the airport in Atlanta and spent most of the day in the airport in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, have a total of 12 hours before I began the process going back to school. So it was probably the worst idea of a of a fall break ever because mm-hmm. I spent more time in the airport than I did with actually visiting but just I just wanted to go and you know I just wanted to see where things were because over the phone things weren't going anywhere right and so that that experience was one I didn't tell her I was coming mm-hmm uh, I, I talked to I talked to their family, and so some of them knew, but she didn't, and that just it wasn't a good weekend. So basically, within the next month, um, we called it off, hmm. and so that began, you know, the breakup blues for the remainder of that semester and leading into the next semester. And so because I was spending a lot of time in the dorm room with my roommate, he was telling me about his previous year. He went out as a student missionary and he's like, hey, you know, you might be interested in checking that out. So, you know, leading into Christmas, I decided, hey, maybe that's what I'll do. You know, how can I make college longer? Yep, I'm just going to make it longer. Now that my plan is thrown up in the air, <laughs> they already told me it's, I'm not going to be. There's probably not a possibility that I can graduate in two and a half years. I'll just add a year. Yeah, who do? <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> uh, so I go home for Christmas. I talk to my parents about the possibility of going to student missionary. And um, they're like, yeah. If you're interested in doing that, go for it. So I start talking to the campus ministries, um, the student missions team, and looking at possibilities and, and and all of that. And so, you know, they tell you to get your three cho- your three top choices. Well, uh, I had heard a student missionary talk about their experience in New Zealand. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I want to check that out. Um, I also thought about Australia and there was one other place, but they were all English speaking countries. Mm -hmm. I wasn't about to go to a country where I'd have to speak a language, (laughs) but so these, those were my top three, New Zealand. And I think there was two in Australia that were options. Well, I never heard anything about New Zealand. I did get a call from, one of the churches in Australia and the, uh, the conversation was, um, what are your top strengths? What do you like? And then they said, what do you think about wearing shorts in church? Hmm. I was like, uh, I've grown up wearing shorts in church, even though <laughs> at one point I got chewed out for wearing shorts in church, in shorts in church. I still think it's okay. They're like, well, what about flip-flops? And 
And what about Lord of the Rings? What's your what's your view on Lord of the Rings? Well, at that point in time, you know, it's the popular movie of the of that, you know, 2001, 2002, sure. 2003. So everybody's talking about it. And it's like, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Well, basically after he interviewed me, he came out with the statement saying, you know, I just don't know if you'll connect. Uh, I don't know if you'll get our sense of humor. Hmm. Um, and so basically that was him saying, we're not going to invite, uh, invite you to come. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is leading up to, you know, I'm, I'm registered for the uh, student missions class. You know, I'm taking that class, you know, leading into getting prepared to do this my next year. And, you know, these calls are falling out like they're not working. Right. And so the person in student missions is, well, you know, you know, if, if nothing works out by the end of the year, you know, by the end of the school year, maybe you can hold off and then try again the next year, you know, come back to school for the year and then try the next year. So about two weeks before school's out, you know, we have this big uh, student missions weekend and as, as, as student missionaries planning to go out, you know, they had this dedication and service and all of that. And my dad was fl- going to Washington DC for uh, some seminars. And so he flew in um, for that weekend. And so then after that weekend, I still hadn't heard anything. And so two weeks before school is about to get out, I get a call from a friend of our, of my church back home saying, Hey, I just got a call from a guy that I, you know, have known for several years who's in Australia. He's the lead pastor of a church and he's interested in talking to you. So I believe he's going to call you within the next 24 hours. I was like, okay. So within the next 24 hours I did, I got a phone call. He talked to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I got your information because we're looking for a youth, you know, youth pastor, youth volunteer, somebody to work with our, our teenagers and, and elementary school kids. Uh, I got your information from uh, this other church who said, like said, Hey, here's somebody, if you're interested that you could look into, we're not going to, we're not going to extend a call. So basically after that connection, her speaking good about me, um, they extended a call. So two weeks before the the semester is out, they're doing a fast pace, get your visa so that you can come. So you're going to go to Australia, Australia to be a student missionary. I'm going to go to Australia and be a student missionary. All right, man. What happened in Australia? <laughs> so all these things are playing out. So like, you know, at 19, I get, I feel this call to ministry. Yeah. Uh, in, at 21, I feel this call to come to Southern. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I have a breakup, but then I have this, this sense that God is calling me to be a student missionary. Things don't seem to be going well, but then at the end, I get this invitation to go and be a, a youth volunteer in Sydney, Australia. So they fast-paced my visa so that I could leave a month after school got out. So we got out like May 2nd. Uh, I then drove home 
my parents at this time now were, you know, they are in California. So I had to drive all the way to California. So I drove to California, uh, spent a couple weeks with my family there, helped out my younger brother's eighth grade graduation, loaded all my stuff up and headed to Australia. So I get to Australia not knowing a soul. Because <laughs> one of the things that that I wanted to do was in the experience of student missionaries was to overcome my fear of new experiences. Hmm. Because all everything up until this point was, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to do that. So I thought this would be an opportunity. Go to a new country all by myself. Experience life in this country all by myself. Something new. So my hope was that I could overcome my fears of meeting new people by having an experience where, I, where I'm forced to meet new people and, and live, live in a different country with different people mm-hmm. for a year. And so I did. Um, and most of it was good. A lot of it was challenging. Mm. Uh, when I got there, the senior pastor that invited me there um, sent an email that I wasn't supposed to get mm. that that caused me to react in, uh-oh, I need to do something. Otherwise... Um, they're not, they're going to want to send me home. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, what can I do? And so he made arrangements to work through whatever the issue was and basically developed a good relationship for the next couple months mm-hmm. from that point forward. Then at the end of the year, um, beginning of the next year, the way Australia does their pastoral calls is they change at the year end. So from, so I, I, I flew out in June of 2005. I was there through June. I I came home in July of 2006. So at the end of the year, 2005, the pastor that had been working with was no longer going to be the pastor of the church. He was going to go up to the conference and work in family ministries. And so one of the other pastors that was at the church was stepping into his role. And so when that transition happened, he had a different idea of what kind of work he wanted me to do. Hmm. And basically from that point forward, he made a statement uh, about me that turned me uh, very deep into depression for the remainder of my time. What did he say? There. Uh, he basically said that your character doesn't fit pastoral ministry. Hmm. So basically I did everything that he wanted me to do from, from that conversation that we had till the time that I left. Like I had to give weekly reports about everything that I did, um, how many people I visited, how many interactions I had with high school students, how many Bible studies I gave. And so I had to give him weekly reports. 
And so I did all of that for the rest of my time there. Um, had some good times with Pathfinders, uh, adventure camps, and and created good relations with Bible studies that I had with the high school or, or the teens. And then we had a tennis group with people my age. So that's how I got through the next six months. So by the time you get, um, you're getting back from Australia, like from what I'm hearing from the story is um, this thing happens where you think, man, this is what I'm supposed to go into. And there's all of these roadblocks along the way. And it seems like, as you're getting near the end of college or you're about to wrap up and do this thing, you're getting more and more discouraged about what your life is going to be like. Like, is this for me? Is pastoral ministry for me? Am I doing the right thing? Right. So when you get back to college and you finish out your degree, did were you like, okay, I'm going to finish it and I'm going to keep on doing it like those people were wrong? Or were you like just completely doubting yourself as you're going into your career? I doubted it. Um, even though I had a conversation. So when I came back, we had a mentor program that we had to get into. Um, and I had, I had to pass one more Greek class mm -hmm. in order to stay in the program. And so, you know, I took Greek my first year. I took a year off and then I had to come back and take another Greek class. And I also had this mentor class. And so, you know, I, I shared with the mentor pastor, I said, hey, you know, this is my experience from Australia. And basically he told me, he says, one thing I'm going to tell you, if you're called to ministry and it's a call from God, no man can tell you yay or nay. I need you to believe that. If God has called you, God has called you and he will provide a position for you. Right. And let that and let that be the truth about it. So I, I had this, okay, I, I can, I can accept that, but I have to pass this Greek class in order to, in order to stay on the track that I'm on, I need to pass this Greek class in order to pass this Greek class. I got to get a hundred percent on all my Greek vocabulary throughout the quarter or throughout the semester. And if I don't get a hundred percent on every test or the quiz, we have up until the two weeks prior to the final to retake them to get a hundred percent. So as the semester's progressing, I have three quizzes I have to retake and I have three weeks left before the final. I, yeah, before the final, before the cutoff time to drop the class. Right. And so my prayer is God, if I'm supposed to stay on this track, you're going to have to help me pass this test are these quizzes. You're going to have to get me through these quizzes. So I passed the final quiz with an hour and 15 minutes left before the cutoff. Hmm. And so I took that as a, okay, I'm going to continue through this course. Right. Uh, and so I pressed through, um, had good, uh, good mentor, you know, gave me positive feedback about who I am and the things that I could do and, you know, just had that positive dialogue, made it through the end of my, um, uh, my time at Southern. But unfortunately I graduated in 2008, the year of a recession mm -hmm. and a hiring freeze. 
Mercy. One of my favorite Bible studies that we have is on Wednesday night at 8 Central, and it's called, what's it called? It's called Love Reality Study Night, and it's hosted by my man Tyler Morrison, and it's topical, and man, the last few weeks have been on boundaries, it's been on what do we do when we're hurt, and uh, we've had guests on there. It's just an amazing Bible study. If you are interested in joining this or any of our other Bible studies, email us at steady at lovereality.org and we will hook you up with all the details. I think you'll find they'll be a huge blessing. Here I am coming to graduation. I haven't got a call. There's other people in my class that got calls, other people that didn't. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I go home? Or do I stay here and take a master's in outdoor leadership? <laughs> uh, so I I talked to the uh, the department about outdoor leadership and you know the master's program and what they expect and did all of this um, up at the week of graduation. When my parents came, they came and sat down with me and in the people that were in charge of the master of program and you know said, this is what we can do. And basically even got uh, talked to the housing department so that I could remain in my apartment for that next semester if I took this outdoor leadership. Right. But I didn't, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but so I came up to graduation uh, and I was at graduation, went through graduation and decided that night I'm just going to go home because this outdoor leadership doesn't feel like the right fit. So I'm just going to go home. And so in the midst of preparing to go home, packing all my stuff up, driving across country with my parents in a uh, 1983 BMW station wagon, <laughs> rear wheel drive with all my stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the most interesting road trip I've taken with my family. But um, I didn't tell my roommate <laughs> until the night before I left that I was leaving. Right. Because up until that point, we were having the discussion that I was going to stay. And so because I was going to stay, that meant he could stay in the apartment longer and not have to move out. Mm-hmm. But because I decided, no, I'm just going to go home, I I left him high and dry. And he wasn't really happy with me. Right. So we got in the car and we headed back to California. Well, at that point, my parents are now in Oregon because my mom and dad stayed in California for a year, uh, the year that I was in Australia. And then while I was in Australia, they got my mom got another job in Oregon Conference. And so she moved up to Oregon. And so when I came back from Australia, they were in Oregon. So we drove to California to meet my brother for Christmas and meet my first niece uh, who was born that year. And then we drove the rest of the way to Oregon. And then I spent six months uh, living at home, wondering what it was I was supposed to do. But on the way home, 
or on our journey on the way, I got a phone call from the California, Northern California conference of a possible position in a church. Uh, and so I told him, yeah, I'm driving through. I'll, I'll be in California this date. I can come over for an interview. So I drive over, we get to California, we spend Christmas and a couple of days with my brother. And then I go to this interview. Um, and basically the interview was, well, uh, thanks for your time. If we're interested, we'll let you know. Um, if not, thank you for being willing to talk with us. And basically within a week of the interview, I got an email saying, we decided to go another way. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sitting at home with my parents. Um, for six months. But in the midst of that six months, my mom uh, says, hey, would you be interested in helping me in my classroom? I need help. So instead of staying home for six months, not having a, a job, I volunteered in her classroom and helped um, be an aide for seventh, uh, fifth through eighth grade students. Do you ever get a job so, as a pastor, bro? <laughs> Slowly, I did. When was your first job so as midst, a pastor? So in the midst of that year, I got a call from my mentor pastor mm -hmm. who had a cousin in the Idaho conference. Okay. And so I get to... Uh, so in the middle of that six months, they give me a call to say, hey, come over to Idaho, come to McCall. We want to give you... Uh, check you out. Um, if you're interested, do a week of prayer for the, they had a school tied to the church, uh, just, and kind of experience the area. So I, so I spent a week in McCall in early 2019, uh, or not 2019, 2009, around April in a place that gets snow from November through March. And it's not just a little snow, it's five to six feet of snow hmm. from over the whole winter. That's about how much they add up. So as I so as I'm driving into this town to meet this this teacher and this church, there's probably three feet of snow still on the ground mm -hmm. and it's April nineteenth. Mercy. So I, I spend the week there, I do a week of prayer, I go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. I meet different elders. What's the kind of stuff you're preaching uh, about back then? What was the stuff I was preaching about? Um, my philosophy was Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is the answer, but he's not the answer for me. Hmm. Because so, so I get called to go to this church. I spend two years there. In the midst of the two years there, I know everything right to say to somebody else. Hmm. But I don't take what I say for myself. Hmm. And so basically, at the end of my two years there, I was depressed. Um, because in the midst of that time, my parents got divorced or separated mm. and basically leading towards divorce again. Mm. 
And so as I had this thought in my mind, if God truly cares about me, why do I feel this way? Why is it that I can tell somebody what's what to do, but I can't, it doesn't seem to help me. Hmm. And why is it that my family's falling apart again? So after all these years of studying and studying, and now you have a job, and you're preaching that Jesus is the answer, but in your own personal life, you're not feeling his closeness, and you're feeling like that he's allowing a bunch of junk to happen. Yes. How did you reconcile that? So, uh, as most people do, find avenues to help yourself. Hmm. Some medication or, or just a new way of thinking or what, what, uh, binging Netflix, you know, at the beginning of the Netflix era. Yeah. Medication. Yeah. I, I remember watching the TV show, TV show prison break, Mm -hmm. uh, all four seasons in a span of 72 hours. Lord have mercy. (laughs) That is a, how did you didn't sleep? I didn't sleep. Would you recommend that show? I w- <laughs> uh, I don't recommend this. So you're you're just depressed, it. bro. I am. What year is yeah. this? This is 2011. Okay. So you're depressed. You're medicating with Netflix. What else were you medicating with? Uh www.ishouldn'tbethere.com I've been to that website. I shouldn't have gone. <laughs> but I've been there. Did that take over or was it just like a, oh man, kind of a thing? It was a part of, it had been a part of my life since I was 15. Sure. Um, somebody brought a magazine to school and said, hey, check this out. And just kind of went on from there. So in the back of my mind, you know, so here, here is my life. I'm trying to be cool, trying to do the right thing, feeling called by God, but yet I know the back, the, this hidden side of my life, uh-huh. um, having ups and downs about trusting that God called me, not getting a job, finally getting a job, preaching, what I thought was good messages, but yet not feeling the messages for myself. And now I'm depressed watching net, you know, Netflix going places I shouldn't go Uh and just feeling like, where's God? Did you feel like, like either you had the answer and you just were a rotten person or did you feel like maybe this isn't even the answer? I think I had the right answer, but it didn't apply to me. Because how could God like me for what I'm doing? Hmm. How could God like you for what you're doing? So you had the right answer. You just didn't have enough willpower and fortitude, and you were the problem. I was the problem. Yeah. When you would get up to preach... Um, could you preach with conviction or was it affecting just what you were saying? 
I could preach with emotion. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they were good sermons. People said they were good at the end, but I would speak from my heart because at the point of, of the message, I would hear the message and I'd speak from the heart and I'd, I'd tear up up front, but yet knowing in my heart that I needed to beg and plead for, for help. How long did this go on, man? Uh, it continued. So after two years in this, this small church in, in, uh, McCall, Idaho, I got a call from the conference that they were sending me to seminary. And so I make arrangements to head to Berrien Springs, Michigan for seminary. I'm guessing that you're going to run into some of my friends here in the seminary. I will. (laughs) (laughs) So I, so I, I finished my two years there. I, I have a yard sale and sell most of my stuff. Take the rest of what I didn't sell back to my parents' house in Oregon. And then I load up my Subaru and I drive to Berrien Springs, Michigan. Stopping along the way in uh, national parks. Feeling lonely and wish that I had somebody to experience these experiences with me. But here I am driving across country by myself. Uh, heading to another experience by myself. What is this experience going to be? But one of the things that I had in my mind was if I'm doing this seminary experience, then I've got to find Jesus. Hmm. Jesus has to be at the center of everything that I do. That was my, that was my hope. That was my goal uh, of experiencing at seminary because the church that I was leaving as they knew I was headed to seminary was saying, Hey, seminary's not good. We hope that they don't change you. We don't, we hope they don't, you know, you don't get brainwashed and all of this. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I want to go and find out for sure what, what people are se- hearing about seminary. And my whole goal while I'm at seminary is to find Jesus. Did you, uh, and so, was he there? did you find him? I found Jesus. I found a temporary help to some of my issues. What was the temporary help? Seminary. So when I got to seminary, you know, all this negative uh, thoughts about who I am and my experience um, at this point in my life, I'm, I considered myself the heaviest I'd ever been in life. Uh, Basically I wasn't, I wasn't happy with who I was. And so I, looked for ways to find help. Mm-hmm. Uh, got in touch with uh, counseling, um, got myself in a, a regimented exercise program, uh, and just basically found help. Because basically my thought at, my, at the time as I was heading into seminary so this was, you know, 2011. I'm two years away from turning 30. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a fiance. And if I'm supposed to get married, there's some things about who I am and what I am needs to change so that I can at least get to know somebody that somebody would be interested in me. Mm-hmm. And so I need to find help. Um, and 
I needed to find help to get through the things that my parents were going through. I needed, I needed something. I needed something that wasn't self-medication. I needed some help. And right. so coming to seminary, I found help. I, you know, got into a counseling program and basically the entire time I was at seminary, I was taking counseling and, uh, on a weekly basis, uh, and then found accountability people to talk to about um, the self-medication habits. And, and so the, that began to help, um, and as well as having an exercise routine. What did you uh, find out about so, Jesus? What did I find about Jesus? I found that Jesus loved me and that Jesus would help me hmm. uh, get through my difficult things if I put my efforts in, in doing what he asked. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I went to my weekly counseling appointments. I exercised six times a day. You exercise six times uh, a day? Six, not six times like, a day. what? <laughs> six, <laughs> six days a week. Six hey, days You a are week. on it. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. So, not with my schedule. So by the time oh, yeah, you uh, by the time you leave leave seminary, you're in a in a healthier place in your in your life. Yeah, I, I'm in a healthier place. I met my wife and got married when I graduated seminary. Praise <laughs> the Lord. We got married the day before. We got married the Friday before graduation in seminary. So, so let me ask you this: When you leave seminary, you know it seems like. A lot of the stuff that you have done has worked out in your benefit. You know, you got this regimen now. You're you're eating better. You're exercising. Uh, Jesus works if you will do your part. Uh, you are valuable to somebody else, so maybe now that gives you some value. Uh, how long did that stick with you and make you uh, less depressed? <laughs> um. So I, I, after we left seminary, we moved back to the Idaho conference. Um, but part of the Idaho conference was in Eastern Oregon in the way that their regional sure, sure. conferences work out. So we lived in a, in a town of Enterprise, Oregon, and I was the district patch pastor for two churches. Um, and so I was excited. Here I am going to my first district. Um, you know, you come out of seminary with all the be- the best plans in the world. You're going to see God move mountains. He's just changed my life in the sense that, you know, I'm feeling good about myself. I've, I have a wife and things are looking good. Six months into my first district, I have my first major problem. As in something happens in the church, which basically changed the dynamic moving forward in my relationship with certain members of the church. Uh-huh. So after that experience, that first six months, the next thing that happens is I get a phone call from the conference saying that we need to meet. Um, there's some concerns Uh, that we need you to help us understand. 
So this is a this is a year after the the incident that changed relationships within the church. Uh-huh. Um, they call me into the conference office. So I I take the four and a half hour drive from my house to the conference office, meet them at the conference office, have our discussion. Basically, they lay out that I have six months to work out the issues as well as um, have a a weekly mentor program with a pastor that's close by uh, to help work through the issues. Otherwise, you won't have a job. Yep. So at that point, uh, I couldn't tell my wife. I didn't want to tell her that in six months there's a possibility that I wouldn't have a job. Right. Because already I have moved here across country away from her family, away from the job that she had at Andrews University to a rural town in the eastern part of Oregon where she is only working 12 hours a week instead of full time. Hmm. And so... Uh, that that idea of disappointing her That's hit hard. The fear. Yep. Uh, so for the next six months, I work with my mentor and we work through some of the issues and basically get to the point where things are okay, that I'm not going to lose my job. They'll just continue to monitor. They'll check in and make sure everything's going okay. And we'll go from there. So I spend basically five years in that district. So that comes to the spring of of 2019. I am in talks about being ordained. Mm-hmm. And one of the process of being ordained is that conference has to get feedback from the local churches uh, about my ministry. Mm-hmm. And so at our at our winter comp or at our winter retreat, uh, the, the leadership tells me, "Yeah, this is our plan. Uh, we're going to reach out to your churches, and and we'll go from there." So that's. Like the first week of January of 2019, um, the, pa- the the president comes to my church like a couple weeks later just for his yearly reviews that he does with every pastor. And then basically I don't hear anything. Uh, we have our uh, regional pastors meeting. Nothing. I hear nothing. And... Now it's camp meeting time, June of 2019. We get to camp meeting. We do the camp pitch, get everything ready. Um, And at the end of the first camp pitch, uh, the president says, "Uh, we need to talk to you at this time tomorrow. Don't worry about your, your, um, your duties. We've got that taken care of. And so... Just come and talk to This us. doesn't sound good. So I go into this meeting not knowing anything. Um, so I'm very nervous. I'm very anxious. Like, what could it be? Mm-hmm. 
So they talked to me and says, we've got, we got feedback from all the churches. There's some concerns, but we want you to tell us, basically, we want to hear your side of the story. So I, I shared my side of the story. I said, you know, I took some of the information that we got from our retreat back in January and I shared it with the church and I got basically negative feedback. Like we've done stuff like this before. It's not going to work. Hmm. Um, then that same, and within that time frame, my grandmother passed away. My mom's mom passed away. And so I just kind of felt, I don't think I grieved her death very well mm-hmm. in the sense, like I knew she was dying. I was there the day before she passed away. I kind of sensed that it was coming, mm-hmm. but the whole process of how to grieve, you know, the loss of my grandma, I, I don't think I, I processed it very well. Right. And, and that probably affected how I related to people. And so, so the, so basically couple weeks before camp meeting, I went and visited my dad who lives in Alaska and had a real good visit with my dad, uh, kind of shared with the churches when I got back, you know, this experience, like up until that point, I felt like I was in a fog and how I related that to them was when I took off on the airplane to fly to where my dad lives, it was basically foggy, mm-hmm. but we flew out of the fog Mm-hmm. And the sun was shining, mm-hmm. and then I, f- then we landed in the fog in Seattle, and then we flew out of the fog, and then landed in um, in Ketchikan, where my dad, close to my dad, lives, and it was rainy. But then, as the weekend progressed, the sun came out, and I saw um, whales for the first time. Like off the, had to take a, a ferry to the island that my dad lives on. Mm-hmm. And off to the side of the ferry was a couple whales that we saw. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of bald eagles while we were out uh, looking at places. Uh, went fishing, saw killer whales. And so it was just kind of this reprieve because my phone didn't work. Like the only place that my phone worked was in my dad's apartment. And anywhere else where we were, my phone didn't work. So I didn't have to take calls. I didn't mm-hmm. have to look at emails. I just was set free from all things. Mm-hmm. And so basically I felt that that weekend was an opportunity to, to finally get out of the fog I felt I was in. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back from that weekend, you know, I shared just that experience of, I think up until this point I was in a fog, but I feel that that fog is lifted. So, so when they're talking to you about, so then when I get to, to camp meeting yeah. and have this conversation with them, they're like, so what's the story? And I said, you know, I, I basically feel like I'm burning out is what I told him. Like I didn't feel like I had support with leadership. They weren't interested in, in the, the plans that I thought would be positive for the church. And it just felt like I was hitting a brick wall. And hmm. basically I felt like I was going to burn out. Right. And so basically they said, well, uh, we're going to have to think about this. So they let me go and they said, you know, you can take the rest of the morning and then, you know, meet back with your group after lunch. 
So I, I, I do that. And yet at this point, what am I, what am I, I, I didn't want to tell my wife because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So then they called me back the next day and said, okay, this is the options that we can give you. You can, one, do you think you could handle going through the end of the year? I said, probably not. So these are your options. You can, you could stop working for us now and stay where you are. Or we can move you uh, to an associate position for six months in the Treasure Valley, Caldwell. And then after that, you're up, you can look for a new job. Hmm. So uh, basically, they talked to another pastor within the conference who was willing to uh, work with me for six months. And then after that, it was either I put my resume out and look for a new job or I no longer employed by the idol conference. So basically, so after they told me that, then I called my wife and said, this is our, this is my options. And basically we have two weeks to move. If we move here, uh, move to the Caldwell, Idaho. Uh, so we talked it out and basically we took that option, hmm. at least not to be terminated and stay put, but to come here to Caldwell and see what would open up from there. So I finished camp meeting week. I drive home and then pick up my wife. We drive back to Caldwell to look for a place to live. Um, found an apartment where we still live today, almost three years later. And drove back, packed up the house. She finished her work. I finished my work, preached two sermons and both, you know, one final sermon in each church, mm -hmm. loaded up a U-Haul and then moved to Caldwell, Idaho, where I spent the next six months as a full-time pastor associate. And basically when I got here, um, one of the things that they wanted me to do was to reflect and to seek what God was calling me to do. Hmm. Like, did I, did I feel still called to ministry? Um, or what was, what was it that I was supposed to do? So I spent the next six months struggling to figure out what God wanted me to do. Um, and then it came down to November 2019. Um, I was set to preach and sitting at the front pew waiting to go up the platform and the song that they chose to sing was a song that was played at Faith on Fire Campery in 2004. And that was my reminder that God called me. Mm. And if God called me, then he has a place for me. And so I shared that with the 
the senior pastor that I was working with. And, and then he's like, I'm glad to hear that. Um, now that we've got established that, we would like to offer you a part-time position here in the church once your full-time position ends. And so that leads into 2020. Uh, coming into 2020, going from full-time ministry to part-time ministry, uh, working at the same church. And then, of course, the pandemic hits. The worldwide pandemic. <laughs> and uh, basically, we go from just starting a young adult Sabbath school class and trying to get a young adult group going to a a Zoom, Google Meets meeting weekly. And just going week to week and um, still wondering, is this what God wants me to do? Hmm. Am I still called to ministry? Because at this point now it's, I need to start working on a resume because who knows how long this part-time work is. And even though I took this part-time contract, if I were to get a job offer in another church, they would be okay with me. Um, moving on. So there wasn't a stipulation that I had to stay the full year, but it was up to me as my choice. And so I was battling, okay, do I stay here because it's comfortable at the moment? Um, or do I, you know, put a resume out in the meantime, I get a, a email or a Facebook message from a guy that used to work in the conference who works in, in the South said, hey, we have a position in one of our churches looking for an associate. If you're interested, here's the contact information. So I uh, said, okay, I'll try it out and see what that does. So I put my resume together, sent it to the guy. And then the pandemic hits. And then he says, you know, thanks for your information. But right now we're not hiring anybody. Uh, we'll talk to you at the end of the year, or not the end of the year, later in the later in the year, and we'll see where we go from there. Mm -hmm. Basically, I never heard anything back from that, and so uh, we just kind of roll with the part time work, uh, working from home, taking care of my. Uh, wife and I's golden doodle that we just got in December of, of 2019 coming into 2020. And so basically I'm a uh, stay at home for debt, <laughs> uh, taking care of this puppy while my wife is working at the, one of the hospitals downtown Boise as a dietitian. So she's going into work. I'm staying at home, I'm putting in my, my hours, working on all this new transition of trying to figure out how to do ministry in a digital space and all of that, but still struggling with why does God allow things to happen? Hmm. Um, just the doubts like, and, and struggling to have a conversation with God. And so this, you know, uh, going up and down, 
um, these spiritual highs, you know, have these good weekends, you know, have these awesome experiences while preaching, uh, feeling God's presence. And then the next day being down in the dumps Mm -hmm. and like one of the things uh, that I told my wife almost every week prior to moving to Caldwell was that I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit. I wish there was something else I could do. Um, and so here I am with this hope in 20, 2019 that God has still called me. God still has a purpose for me. I still have an opportunity and I'm just struggling to figure out what it is. But in the midst of that, I'm following Eddie, who I went to school with at Southern, who I, we caught up in, caught up with again in Berrien Springs, Michigan, who kind of helped me get to know my wife by inviting me over to their house for a meal uh, with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this kind of interaction that they have a part to play in me meeting my wife and connecting with my wife because prior to um, me and her finally dating, um, we found out that we had pretty much a lot of mutual friends mm-hmm. that we didn't realize. So like one event that Eddie and Jayla had at their house while in seminary, we were both there Mm -hmm. because of different friends, but we didn't really connect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Eddie and Jayla. Yeah. So I know Eddie and Jayla. So coming back to 2020, um, see Eddie making posting on Instagram of a trip from, I think they were in Lincoln at the time mm-hmm. to Washington state. And then all of a sudden I saw a post that says, had a fun time in Boise, Idaho. And I was like, wait a minute. So I texted him or I messaged him on Instagram and said, Hey, we live in Boise, Idaho. It's like, Oh, that's too bad. We already passed through. <laughs> so I was following him and, and I, I basically, I asked, I said, I, um, so leading into 2020, so I saw some things, um, as the pandemic was rolling in that he was posting. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to check it out. Um, I, I found the YouTube series of PVC church Mm -hmm. with John, with Jonathan Leonardo and I was like, I know Jonathan, because I met him when, when we were having lunch with Kessia Rain at one of their gatherings, and he also graded one of my papers for one of my classes mm-hmm. at seminary, or not graded it, but like gave me pointers on what I could do to make it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I had this interaction with him, and so you know I I started watching. Um, this love reality uh, on PBC. And the funny thing was, this wasn't the first time I saw it because back in 2016, 2017, uh, I saw one of Eddie's posts on Instagram or Facebook about spending time in Hawaii, had a great time. God is good. 
And so, you know, I just kept seeing these posts, kept seeing these posts throughout the years. And so here we are in 2020 and I'm ready to figure out what God wants me to do. And I come across love reality and I watch Jonathan series. And I was like, man, this makes so much sense. And I, and so I started watching it over and over, like the first episode. I think I watched four times. What was it that was drawing next, you to that, that next month. first episode? Um, or the first sermon? This is the first sermon at PVC, or is this the, yeah? Yeah, it was the... the um, it's the... Uh, what is your... What is your... Relationship to sin. What is your relationship to sin? Children of Israel, God is bringing him, them to himself. He does the tabernacle yep. drawing. And then Romans chapter 6. Yes. And it, and it hit me so much that I started preaching it. When I, had my, my, when I was scheduled to preach, because uh, I had once a month. I was like, man, this makes so much sense. This makes so much sense. And... So what did it say about I, you? What was the thing that landed for Jonathan that it said about you? What did it say about me? It told me I was free. But did I understand that what what that meant? No. Like you were free from what? Like you were like like in regards to sin, you were thinking about your relationship to sin? Yeah. That was the first thing I heard. Like I was free from sin. But what did that mean? I didn't understand right. it. And like I said, I watched it four or five times. And was still not getting it in the sense, like, I'll, I'll keep telling my story on how this, like, so basically the next six months, I uh-huh. kept watching these episodes over and over because there was something that was holding me back. Like, it made sense in the time that I watched it. It made sense in the time that I wanted to share it. So I preached that. I asked the pastor for a, a whiteboard so that I could draw the pictures mm-hmm. for the church. Mm-hmm. And I was telling them about, you know, we're free because because we put the blood on the doorpost. We're free. And, you know, all of this. But what I was having is I was having these emotional highs. And like through this experience, I was having these emotional highs. But then something would happen or and then I just fall down flat. Mm-hmm. Because where the hangup was that I kept realizing as I'm watching this, I watched, so I went through all of wave one. Then I went through and watched wave two. Mm -hmm. Then I went back and watched wave one again. And so basically from April of 2020 through March, the end of March of 2021, I I was on board but I couldn't say that I was truly free. Hmm. And so my life in those times that I'd have these highs and I have these lows, I'd have these highs and I'd have these lows where, where at times I felt like, yeah, I could say I'm free, but something would happen and I wouldn't, I would be double minded. I'd go back to that. I need to grovel at God's foot, you know, God's feet and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, help me through this, help me through this. As I'm watching this over and over, I'm talking, you know, I preach, I preach about it three times that, that within that year in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like I preach the first, the first sermon. Then I talk about, 
uh, always being son, that we're children of God and that experience that we are God's children. And this is a great thing to live by. And then uh, I try to get to the, that understanding of forgiveness. Like we are free, uh, you know, we've been forgiven and we can forgive because we're forgiven. But there was still something missing. And what it was, as I'm getting to 2021, as I've been watching this and sharing some of the things that I'm figuring out, is that in the midst of it, I could I didn't understand Secret Place. And so that's why I kept watching it over and over. What is Secret Place? How do I get to Secret Place? How do I commune with my father? How do I hear God talk to me? How do I experience these things? that everyone that they're talking about. Why does it, why do I feel like I don't have that? And so I spent, you know, the rest of that year trying to figure out what secret place is by doing it myself, like getting up in the morning and having my devotions, getting up and doing this and, and trying this, trying different things, listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, listening to music, but still not feeling like God is talking to me. So 2021 is coming or 2020 is coming to a close. I've had these great opportunities to speak. I hear good feedback from people. But yet, as I go home a couple days later, hmm. I feel flat again. Um, twenty twenty. It's coming to a close and the pastor comes to me and says, Hey, things are changing. Uh, you might need to look for another job. Hmm. Uh, and so I was like, okay. Um, started looking at my re resume, but then he's like, you know, in the meantime, while you're, while you're looking at that, what have, what have you thought about, you know, working at the press, uh, Pacific press is here in Napa, Idaho. So it's like 10 minutes from my house. I was like, well, you know, I thought about Amazon because Amazon built a big distribution center here in Napa, Idaho. And, you know, I've seen signs about hiring all over the place. And that was one of the things I was thinking about as a part-time until I decide what I'm going to do next. He's like, well, you know, Amazon is a fallback if you, but why don't you check out the press? So I saw that the press had an opening. I filled out their application, got a call. They said, hey, come in for an interview. Went through the interview process and basically they offered me a job, which would, is basically what I'd be doing at Amazon, but it's at the Pacific Press. So all the all my um, social or all my retirement that I'd earned up until that time would still be, I'd still be earning that because now I'm still in a, in a church job. So I still be contributing to my retirement that way. So I took the job. Ending 2021. Um, my, my wife has plans to get some dental work done and is taking some time off in early March. And by that time, I think I had watched 
wave one at least six times. Hmm. And and I like I don't understand why I don't get it. I understand. I read Romans. I see what it says. I see in Romans eight that there is no condemnation. That you know God isn't against me, but there's something that that is in my it, that is causing me not to completely understand or or causing me to still feel guilty or causing me to feel still shameful. And so I I finally I finally text uh, Eddie. I said Eddie. I think so. The last time I had talked to Eddie, uh, DM was when he was traveling mm-hmm. uh, with the Love Reality Tour, uh, and so I I reach out to him and I said, "Hey, do you have a moment? I'm just tired of not understanding." Uh, and so he calls me, and. We have a, we talk and basically he says, what, it, what is it that you think is holding you back? I was like, I don't know. And so he says, well, let's pray about it. And so we pray. After we pray, he says, what did the Holy Spirit tell you? And in that moment, I heard says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of me. You don't have to worry about what I have to say to you. Because I love you. You are my son. Hmm. From that moment forward, I realized the hang-up that stemmed back all the way to elementary school, where I've always been a. Af- I've always been a people pleaser and trying to do what making sure that I, that other people like me. Hmm. And because I was worried about what other people thought about me that stemmed into my relationship with God, as in I cared about what he would say about me. So I was afraid to talk to God openly in the sense of just speaking from my heart. I was okay with doing the basic prayers. Thank you, father, for my food. Thank you for, Today, thank you for the opportunities. Uh, I was good at making wish lists. Father, please help me get through this test. Please help me, you know, all the, if you do this for me, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. These kind of prayers, but never the true open heart prayer of just talking to him about how I feel. Mm. And so from that moment with Eddie, that moment that the Holy Spirit said, don't be afraid. Mm. You don't have to be afraid. He took me back to Isaiah 43, where it says, Child, you are mine. I've called you by name. Don't be afraid. You can walk through the waters and I'll be with you. You can walk through the flames and I'll be with you. Hmm. So from that moment, this text, another text of, that was my a favorite of mine years before, because when I um, did my week of prayer, Back when I came into came to McCall, this was one of the texts that I shared with the kids, as well as Romans eight. There is no condemnation at the end. There's nothing that God will. There's nothing that will separate you from my love. Mm. No, and so all these texts came back to my mind. These are the these are promises that that you can have. These are promises that 
are yours. So don't be afraid. I am with you. Mm. I have called you by name. Child, you are mine. And so from that point on, life has been better. Um, to the point as every sermon that I preach prior to March 30, 2021, I was so anxious and afraid because I thought, what is a, at the point in time I was 36, what does a 36 year old have to say to people that have been in the church for so many years? So all my sermons were based on fear of what people would think about them. Hmm. Every sermon that I've preached since, I don't have a fear because God has given me something to speak about. And if it's what God wants me to speak about, then that's all that matters. I don't need to be afraid of what people think because God has given me the joy of my heart and I can't hold back from sharing that with people. You think of first John four, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. And unless you know how perfectly you've been loved, unless you see your freedom from sin, unless you see that you've always been son, unless you see that you're in the covenant, like you're in the family of God, then you're trying to get in by your behavior. Yeah. And that doesn't, that's like, I could be perfectly loved if I get my behavior correct. If I don't go to www.ishouldn'tbehere.com. And God's just like, no, look, check it out. I destroyed lust at the cross. Like I became lust and I died. I became anger and I died to it. I became sin and I died to it. I have the victory over sin, and so now you can triumph in my victory over sin. And before, it just wasn't good enough, right? It, Jesus right. was the answer, but was he really the answer? Well, he was, but he wasn't in our reality, right? Right. And now you've been perfectly loved. Yep, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> and you're here to tell people about it. I am. So you've got something to say, and you don't have to worry whether the old or the young people don't like it. You just preach Christ and Him crucified, right? That's right. Praise the Lord. And, the, and the amazing thing, the amazing thing, so ever since um, March 30 of 2021, it has been my prayer to be able to share this with my family. Um, and just to see what God can do. Um, so in the fall of 2021, my mom and her husband came for a visit and we sat in the park and I shared with her, I said, feelings aren't Lord. Jesus is. Let's go. <laughs> And I, and I just, I, I sat with her and I talked with her and I said, you know, I don't remember what, what brought it up. Well, I think what brought it up was, you know, she was having some difficulty with her, with her sister, but I just sharing this, I was like, feelings aren't Lord Jesus is, and this is why. And then I, you know, I went through Romans five and six and seven 
uh, I took her to Galatians. I took her to Colossians. I, and it was just coming from the heart. Like I didn't even have my Bible with me. And I, <laughs> just being able to say to her, I was like, this is, this is who we are. God calls us sons and daughters. We don't have to worry about what other people think because God is enough for us. And, and so, you know, that was the first part of my prayer. And the other was my dad. And, um, you know, I call my dad once a week, most of the time. Sometimes life gets busy and it doesn't happen. But this week on Monday, I was able to have that conversation with my dad. Hmm. And he's like, he was, he was talking about a circumstance that he had been dealing with and He's like, I've realized something that I haven't realized before. And it's come from studying Genesis. You know, the, the church quarterly is going through the book of Genesis. And he's like, you know, it, talking about Abraham and him willing to offer up Isaac, but trusting that God had a plan. And they said, yeah, that's true. God has a plan. And God used the culture of the time period to show that he had a plan from for Abraham so that he would trust in that plan and that today we can look back at Abraham's faith and have that same faith knowing that God has a plan and God has fulfilled that plan and Jesus is alive and we can stand on the mountaintop knowing that our father and our brother Jesus is alive in heaven and he is interceding for us because he loves us, because he gave himself for us, because he died so that we can die and live in him. Mm. And, and I was able to share that with my dad. And that was an answer to a prayer that I've been praying for, for months. So I'm, I'm happy to see where this goes. I'm, you know, to keep having that conversation with my dad and, and help him uh, keep going down this road, this road of freedom mm. that we have in Jesus Christ. Man, I love to hear it, man. I love that he's taking care of the fear. And now you're preaching boldly. And it's like before it's something you were trying to understand, and now it's something that you know. Like you know it yeah. to the depth of yourself because the Holy Spirit is ministering it to you, right? Yeah. And and one of the one of the, the key things that within that fear was the identity aspect. You know, like I said, growing up I had this identity crisis trying to fit in. And finally <laughs> realized that my identity is son of God. And that's all that matters. It's not Pastor Jonathan. It's not uh, fashionable Jonathan. It's Son of God. And so what ha that has done is it has relieved me of living a life focused on the job that I have or the way that I live my life, but to trust that God is enough for me. And so whether I'm getting paid to be a pastor or not, 
I am a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I can speak my testimony in faith in Jesus. If anyone is in the position like you were, like listening to wave one a bunch or trying to understand what these crazy people from love reality or people on the death of life podcast are talking about and they don't get it yet. They don't feel like they have it. What would you say to someone who's who wants it so bad, but doesn't believe it's for them? I tell them not to give up. I tell them to take a step of faith and speak heart to heart to God and say, God, show me how this interacts with me. Because that's what it took for me. And uh, the best thing is to reach out to somebody and ask them. Ask them to speak life into you. Mm-hmm. And God is doing big things all the time. And we just see it now, right? Like he was, he's been doing yeah. it all along. And now he's, uh, he's doing it again. He just keeps going. It's just going to be more and more and more. And all this crazy, terrible stuff is happening. Uh, the pandemic was horrible, yet people's lives are transformed. What's happened this week in our country has been horrible. But through what the enemy has done, God is going to use for good. And so I just hear your story, and I'm encouraged, man. I'm encouraged that... Uh, that you see this truth and you know you just know it and so that's a blessing to me man thank you so much for sharing it you're welcome thank you you can feel freedom from within free to fly be the child that you always been yeah. thank you so much for listening to the show today we would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories and a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts give us a high rating if, if you give us less than a five star I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us so give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all.